Hey there, welcome to ATL and 29, a podcast where we look at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. My name is Kevin Chenard. I'm here with Glenn Willis. We are recording on a Tuesday after the Hawks defeated the Celtics in Game 5 in Boston. Anything happen tonight, Glenn? That was a fun basketball game to watch, I think. Yeah, uh, it was... uh, on a lot of fronts, it felt like the Hawks kind of scripted what they wanted. Uh, aside from maybe what transition points, but like they did all of this sort of plotting things that they needed to do to kind of string the game along, string the game along, and until they had a, a puncher's chance at the end, and then they punched. They did. Uh, I mean, the one thing that it's a little things we added to that narrative of them kind of keeping himself in the mix is there there were like maybe twice two times in the second half where the Celtics got up to what 11 12 13 you know, point or 13 point lead and man that, that's when it looked like oh they, they this could they could lose this like any possession now like if like the next two possessions go poorly for them it's probably over and they just kept fighting they kept working they stayed with the plan uh, and that was, um, you know, some maturity, I think, from this team. It's a composer, I think, from this team that really sustained them until they could kind of uh, – I felt like what, the main difference in the game, you know, they they were – they won the fourth quarter 37-25, I think it was. And my big takeaway is in the third quarter, the Celtics really amped up their defensive intensity and made it really hard on the Hawks. In the fourth quarter, the Hawks – raise their defensive intensity and it kept raising it a little bit. It seemed like a little more every possession as the game got deeper and deeper and deeper. I thought Trey was like really impactful as a defender on key possessions. It wasn't just him, but that I think having your leader show that investment uh, on that end and one that he's not so naturally, you know, um, inclined, you know, not the biggest defender, all that stuff we know. Right. So, but him, Really, just on both ends, just really showing up with just a lot of fight, and a lot of determination. I thought, you know, lifted his team a lot. So, um, just a really, really impressive win. I mean, no Dejounte. Season's over if you don't win the game. You're basically trailing the whole game. That's mentally tiring to always be kind of trying to try to work from behind the whole game long. And then to stick with it and have the mental toughness to, to execute the way they did at the end was just a, an impressive, impressive win. Uh, so there was a play, I don't know, late in the game, maybe 15 seconds or so left, where there's a timeout. The Celtics have the ball down one, and Trey stayed on for defense. Is yeah. that... Uh, you know, just sort of respect for Trey's overall game and his effort. Was it was it acknowledgement of his defense? Was it keeping him on for the free throws? Because they, I mean, they had Bay on too. I mean, they're obviously they're shorthanded. Maybe you could put like Jalen or somebody in there too. I, I don't know. I thought honestly, I thought maybe keeping Bay in was even more curious than keeping Trey in. But uh, you know, what did you think as that was that was going down? And, and the funny thing to me was okay. He you know, and Trey committed the foul. And uh, Derek White got the two free throws, I think it was. But then, like, I think that I think that has a positive impact on the next play, just knowing that your coach kind of played through you at that point and didn't pull you. I don't know. Puts the onus back on you. Yeah, I I think so, too. I think 
it was a nod to the leadership Trey was showing on both ends of the court across that fourth quarter. It was a nod to Trey, Trey playing basically the whole second half. The only play he wasn't in on was the defensive rebound of White. You know, well, they were going to call a timeout if, if White missed, and he didn't. You know, and so I think it was just like this guy is, you know, putting us on his back and to a degree. Now he got a lot of help tonight. I don't, I don't, I don't want to be dismissive of the other guys, but in terms of like, I'm going to play all 24 minutes of the second half and how he made jump shots at the end of that, you know, stretch and showed up with that um, amount of activity and on defense was just, I mean, just, it's, it's just, I'm not sure that's something we've ever seen from Trey before that level right. to that level. But of course, in terms of staying on, I, I have to think their number one reason is if you get the rebound, if there's a miss and you get the rebound, you absolutely want Trey at the free throw line. And you, and you just don't want to take that risk. Bay being on, I think Bay was on and Bogey was off. Um, you know, Bogey played a, a whole lot of minutes in this game too. I think it's maybe just an energy thing. They're in some ways they're equal defenders. It's kind of funny though if you look at Bogey's fourth quarter stat line, he had like four or five rebounds, a block, a steal, you know, three assists. You know, Bogey was absolutely instrumental in the fourth quarter. But I think Quinn likes Bay's toughness. Like, if there's a loose ball, Bay's going to mix it up. If, the, if you have to go in and put yeah. a body on somebody for a rebound, Bay's going to do that. So even though the Celtics kind of went at him, you know, have gone at him a lot in this series, um, I think I think Quinn was just, like, a little fresher, you know, and uh, he'll mix it up, you know. But, you know, it's, it's funny because um, when you think about that second half, I think it's a pretty – Subtle thing. I'm not sure how many people noticed it. But, you know, after the game, I put a I, I put out a tweet saying, at this point, going to game six, coaches and teams are generally kind of out of adjustments. Like you, you have what you have. You've shown your cards, all that sort of stuff. But the one thing that was different tonight is Quinn didn't want Bay on Tatum in the second half, and he rolled with JC on Tatum. And JC did a good job. I don't want to act like it was a shut it was shut down defense, or whatever. That's a tough assignment. Um, and and but, Bay was not having success in the first half. And the base had no success on Tatum. Yeah, the all whole series long. Series, yeah. right. Yeah. So, I mean, I thought that was just kind of a gutsy call by Quinn and trusting, you know, JC, a guy who's going to bring effort, work hard. And, and JC was closing out, challenging shots, trying to keep, you know, it, Tatum in front. And that was part of Tatum going one for 10 uh, from the three-point line in that game. You know, Hunter you know, staying in front. Uh, Capella, I think, got switched on to him twice. Um, later in possessions, but one of the 10 was kind of a huge, so really a one for nine. But I mean, Quinn trusting like JC is like a, a veteran, you know, on this team that can just give you a baseline level of effort and do his best to execute the thing that's needed. I thought that was absolutely massive. And then, I mean, is it, is it a coincidence that all of a sudden JC starts making shots? It's sort of the Nod to Trey on defense gives him maybe a boost on offense. The nod to 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 JC on defense maybe gave him a boost on offense too. Because if JC doesn't make the shots he makes in the second half, the Hawks are not in. They're down eighteen twenty at some point, right? And it's and it's just not going to work out for them. So um, it's it's funny because Missoula and Quinn are both kind of you know maybe little tweaks on the margins here or there, but that was a big one tonight. I thought for me that was a big one to get Bay off of him. And 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 Tatum ended up having kind of a rough shooting night overall, and that was a that was a pretty big, I think, move Quinn made there. So obviously the Hawks didn't have Dejounte and and Bogey started. 
if you just sort of take sort of the game plan in total, what, what did you see from them starting Bogey and try to make things work uh, with him in the starting lineup? I think Quinn is relying on keeping, for the most part, keeping two of Bogey, Bay, Hunter on the floor. And I feel like he thinks we get the spacing we need if I have two of those three guys. It was a, in some ways, it, it was a little easier to do that tonight without DeJounte. Mm-hmm. Um, because for example, if he would have won a rolled with that always two of those three in the second half, he might not have JCL down to the pin Tatum, right? Because he has to use that right. power forward spot, all that sort of stuff. So, I, but I think he's going to, I would have to, he's going to continue kind of rolling with that, you know, for the most part. That gives Trey space in the middle. Uh, Trey got dribble penetration, but it's probably his best game uh, of the series, I think, kind of in terms of attacking the middle in the middle. Um, they, they move their their point of screens a little higher to kind of create even a little bit more space uh, there, which was, I think, a nice adjustment there as well. And um, and uh, you know, I I think Trey just kind of did his thing. I know I know he's fourteen for thirty three, but I don't know what you expect on a guy who played forty, you know, six one, uh, you know, one eighty, whatever he is, playing forty four minutes, fifth game in a series against a defensive team like Boston. It's just you know, pretty pretty incredible. But just have it, trying to have two shooters on the floor at all times. Um, when John was making shots in the second half, that even even if it doesn't result in the Celtics, you know, staying glued to JC like they do Bogey Bay and, and to a degree Hunter, it still forces the defense to think a little bit more about, you know, ignoring John completely. And so John's shot making, I thought, contributed a little to that spacing kind of continuing to be there uh, for Trey as well. And we, we've heard Quinn the whole series long, you know, let him fly, let him fly, let him fly, you know, almost no matter who you are, you know, let him fly. And if, you know, Bay doesn't go back out after a rough game four and make some shots in the first half, they probably get down 15 or so in the first half. But Jalen doesn't take that wide open shot. He had if Yeka doesn't take that wide open (laughs) shot. At the top of the key, I mean, I mean, you could just kind of, I could hear Quinn's voice in my head and the moments where the Hawks players were taking those shots specifically. And you're like, let it fly, let it fly, let it fly. If they're going to sink on us and they're going to take that away from Trey, we got to put those shots, we have to put those shots up and we have to do our best to try to get them to go down. They went down tonight and, you know, but credit to them for taking them with confidence and, and trusting their coach's guidance that I don't care if you missed the last, Three. I don't care if your last two were like really out of rhythm. Got to take the next one. They did tonight. Did did starting Bogey change anything that they did defensively? Were they able to like use less of Capella on Smart, for instance, or, or things like that? I mean, for the most part, no. I, I mean, it's kind of funny because Dejounte, I think, has been their worst on ball defender the whole series. Um, and one on one, you know. Uh, Bay, I mean, Bay, Tatum going at Bay, but I mean, Tatum's a tough assignment. They haven't really, DeJounte hasn't had to deal with Tatum, really, right. right? So, but I mean, then you ask yourself, go look at what Jalen Brown did tonight. Who's been defending Jalen Brown the last two games before this one? Been DeJounte, right? And DeJounte, I think, in a switch situation, um, in a screen situation, that's where he's like really struggling with contain. But I think, it goes to show that maybe he's having, even though we it might not be obvious things that jump out at all the viewers. Jalen had his best game tonight by far, 
on the night that Jante wasn't there. So there's you know probably you know something that Jante is able to do to kind of take him off the spots and things like that. I'll, I'll do a rewatch in the morning and, and figure a little bit more out there. But but the difference in Jalen's performance just it, it can't be coincidental that he wasn't dealing with Dejounte tonight. I think Jalen loves to attack bigger defenders, um, slower defenders, uh, and the one the one strength of Dejounte's defensive play is his ability to get deflections, get a fingertip on the ball. And Jalen's not the most secure ball handler. He's not a DeAndre Hunter level kind of challenge ball handler. But if you saw like last year in the Eastern Conference Finals and then into the finals, you know, those defenses were really going at Jalen and it looked, you know, pretty rough. Now, now that's a that's a, a really pressure-filled context for Jalen. I'm not, I'm not trying you know, Jalen Brown's a really good yeah, basketball right. player, to be clear. Yeah. But it's but it's like that does I, I could see DeJounte making him a little uncomfortable, you know, in that sense. So we'll have to kind of see. Uh, how that looks in game six, I think, kind of going forward. I mean, to be, to be fair, DeJounte has been pretty awful um, it, for the most part on defense in the series. But maybe when he's not dealing with a switch, maybe he's not dealing with a screen, he's just doing a little bit better than you know, all those other kind of bad reps are standing out for us in our memory. And maybe we're forgetting some uh, other uh, kind of um, – impactful things that aren't so obvious. So interesting thing to, to track in the next game. <laughs> I'm trying to think how, how to phrase this. Like just like on the whole it seemed like the Hawks were pretty good defensively. Like it, it seemed like they never got rewarded for the havoc they created. Like they just, you know, coaches, I, I don't know. Sometimes I go in a press conference and a coach, any coach, talks coach, opposing coach, they have 50, 50 balls, you know, it's like, yeah, you just kind of like the Celtics were really good on 50, 50 balls. It felt like every time the Hawks made a little bit of chaos and the ball was bouncing around, there was a deflection. It's just, they seem like they never got it. So it, in a way, I don't. I don't know if that means that like that, like the Hawks were better on defense than maybe what the result was because they they would create some chaos. It just seemed like they never actually got the turnovers for whatever havoc they were able to create until maybe a couple, you know, really late that were obviously really big and important. Yeah, I know. It seemed like the ball did. I don't know if I want to say the ball kind of bounced the Celtics' way a lot when there was a deflection or a long rebound or whatever. Or if it's just fair to say the Celtics beat the Hawks to those opportunities, you know, the the truth is probably somewhere in between those two statements and some of both being true. But like, I think of the, um, uh, the wedge, right. That turned into a jump ball at center court. And, And like in that example, like the Celtics got the tip ball and everybody except Robert Williams stopped. It seemed like they all thought a foul was being called. And, and like that's just one play where it was like a kind of an odd thing that happened that resulted in a, just an absolute free two points for the Celtics, you know. But I, I ran it back like three or four times to watch. Like literally everybody on the court stopped except Robert Williams. And I don't think a whistle was blown. Uh, I don't think any foul was called, but I think it was one of those things where it looked like a foul had been committed. So everybody just kind of stopped, you know. There were a number of plays that were kind of like that. You know, Blake got that rebound that he threw off of and uh, JC, you know, uh, in the fourth quarter, you know, which was a good play by Blake. I, I, I'm not sure. Yeah. 
I'm, I don't have really a theory on why Blake was playing in this game. Yeah, uh, that was odd. <laughs> what 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 was that? I have no idea. I mean, Williams was in foul trouble, but I mean, he ended up with four fouls at the end of the game. So you know, like he didn't play in the first half, right? He hadn't played in the whole series. Yeah, uh, just... and Grant Williams is over there. It's like, what is? I have no idea. Yeah, that was weird. Okay. Yeah, it's super weird. Um, and he didn't really do anything except for, I mean, he 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 does work hard. Yeah, screens. I mean, he he mixes it up and and gets so, very physical. So maybe he was on to help Tatum get going. You know, it, you know, it, just like you know, Trey has a preference for Clint. Trey's kind of struggling. He wants Clint's screens at him. You know. So it could just be a thing like, hey, Blake, get out there and try to see if you can help JT get going. That's all I can think of. Otherwise, I don't really have any idea. But there were there were a lot of those, you know. But the, I mean, but again, the, like the Hawks kept, you know, digging on the Celtics ball handlers. You know, Trey kind of got a couple deflections late that were really, really big. That very last possession of the Celtics kind of knocking the ball back out of bounds where they only had what, like, was it? I can't remember how much time was left on that last inbound play. Like, uh, half a minute, half a second. It went from Was like it? two to like 0.5. Yeah, 0. 0.5, uh, that sort of thing. And and at that point in time, you're just like, don't foul a jump seat you're over. You're having flashbacks to the Bulls game where they got, it was a high five uh, closeout, right. but they still got called for the foul. Like, don't, you know, and all that sort of stuff. But, um, you know, and it's, it's just, you watch the whole game and you're like, Trey's going to probably have to play the whole second half. And you're just, and they're always like seven, eight, nine, ten. Sometimes get it to six, then back to twelve, then back to six, then back to thirteen, and and you're like, and you're just waiting for them to like let go of the rope, as as they say, you know, or and just or just lose their ability to stay in range, you know. And you know, I don't have so many X's and O's observations from tonight because that. Mozilla wants to play Williams and Horford together and, and close off all of that paint, all the paint. The the Celtics were awesome. If you go look at the shooting stats and the paint tonight, Celtics were like, I don't know, like 20 for 32, and the Hawks were like like less than 50%, I think. So the Celtics were awesome defending the paint tonight. Um, Trey, Trey Robert Williams is really good. <laughs> he, he's really good. I don't and I don't want to get into it, but like they but they they went back to exclusively playing him on the guy on the weak side corner in yeah. this game. You know, Horford had five blocks. I mean, in this game, you know, and and I thought there were some drives Trey got maybe fouled on, but I don't. I where well, I mean, it was kind of crazy that Trey didn't take his first free throw until that sequence where Tatum got the technical foul, which was a huge aspect right. of this game. Uh, and then I think the Celtics were like two for six from the line in the fourth quarter, which was absolutely huge in this game as well from the, that's from the free throw line. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, I felt like Trey, I don't know, two, three, four drives across the first three and a half quarters where they got into his hip, you know, they turned him a little bit, you know, all that sort of stuff. But I don't, I don't say that at all to take away. I mean, Williams and Horford were absolutely phenomenal defensive yep. paint tonight. They were great rebounding. Um, but the Hawks just made their shots and kept working and moved the ball and and all that. I, you know, going into Game Six, like what's going to be different? I think it's going to feel exactly like Game Five for the most part, and it's just going to be a matter of who ha- who has can one outdo the other around defensive effort, defensive intensity, just sheer execution, composure, dealing with the pressure. All that sort of stuff. I don't really expect another wrinkle, you know, 
uh, I can't think of what it would, maybe there'll be one or two kind of minor things, but I think, I think, I think like Quinn knows they're going to play Williams and Horford together a lot and just try to dominate the defensive paint. And, and they're going to run, you know, um, like tonight was um, Brockton and, and white, you know, trying to attack the guy in front of them. Um, and, and I mean, Brogdon had a lot of success tonight getting downhill, you know, towards yes. the rim and the Hawks struggled to defend the rim in that sense tonight. So it's, you know, it's going to be interesting to see, like, you know, if there's, if either of them kind of come up with a wrinkle, I can't, I can't see it. But for me, it's now almost, it's almost like my tendency and my preference to watch the game from the standpoint of scheme and X's and O's and adjustments. I start to kind of like go of that a little bit. And I don't normally watch the game like with any kind of emotion at all. Um, but, you know, since I interact with Hawks fans on Twitter, almost the whole game and, and, and all that sort of stuff, this is where I probably going to end up kind of a little bit more just kind of rooting for the Hawks, you know, in game six and not so much just because I think there's going to be less new stuff to try to track from a scheme and next is no standpoint, but it'd be a fun game. It'd be a fun game. What do you think of the t- the the trap on Tatum that they've been using? Uh, I mean, I, I think because they really, I think it's too much to ask Hunter to defend Tatum all 35, 36, 37, whatever minutes he plays, you know. Right. And they don't really have another solution. Now, I wonder with JC's success tonight, if they might be a little more selective with it in game six. It's a great question. Um, and, and when JC was on the floor, they weren't, you know, sending a second defender, uh, so much. So, um, I think Quinn prefers it later in the shot clock. Right. That makes Um, sense. You know, and, or if he's on that right baseline, that's a kind of a favorite kind of area of his, it's a little harder to pass and dribble out of the corner, you know, the baseline corner. Uh Um, but there that but sometimes that's when they get go up the lob on the backside. Sometimes that's when they lose a cutter. You know, there's a trade off there. I, I'm sure every NBA coach wishes you never had the double because it it makes the the rest of your defense vulnerable. You know, covering you know four guys with three. Um, and so I, I do wonder if Quinn's going to try to figure out a way to use less of it in Game Six if he can because it's it's really hard on the other three defenders. Yeah. I agree. I didn't. There was one play tonight where I don't know what chaos brought it about, but they had a Kongwu on Tatum and they sent a second defender. And I'm thinking, God, no, no, please, no, because it's like, forget like actual, you know, whatever the defense is for that four and three. It just feels like you're probably not going to get the rebound or anything, too. Like, if if it just seemed like they were going to have too much too far away from the basket. And if, you know, if you, if you weren't going to score on the first attempt, you might get it on the second too. It just seemed like a, the numbers would be bad there. And, I, and I'd like to try to trust a Kongu in that situation. I don't think he would be a, a slouch in that department. I think that might go right into his strength a little bit. Not his strength, but I, that's, that's too strong of a word, but I, I, I don't think that's out. I don't think that falls outside of his uh, toolkit to be able to try to yeah. stand up for that on one possession. Yeah, it'd be interesting to hear Quinn or Langabardi talk about that. If you know, it's on some truth serum, you know, like what do you really, what do you really want there? That I mean, it might be like an automatic trap that they, you know, just saying every, you know, the last, the timeout before that, it's like okay, on every touch here, go do it, and so you, you know, 
that's yeah. the players are executing what they were told to do. But I, it just seems like, you know, personnel wise, when I saw that one happen, I was like, Ooh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. And, and that's where I think I, I, I well, I'm, that's where I'm saying I'm curious. I should say I'm curious. Quinn's going to try to be a little more selective with that because that is oftentimes when they give up like the f- absolute free two points right at the rim, you know? Right. And so maybe Quinn might think, no, we're going to do it. We're just going to execute better. We're just going to, I'm just going to demand my team execute that better. Fair, you know, maybe. Um, but it, it's, it's tough. You know, it's funny. Like I don't, I don't want to miss the opportunity you know, earlier. You talked to, as you're kind of teeing this whole conversation up, we talked about the transition defense. I think the Celtics were 18 to zero on fast break points in the first half. I think it ended up being more that that was the tally, like with a couple of minutes left. Yeah. Maybe, you, uh, yeah, maybe you, I, I think it got was to 20 it, or something. Uh, well, I know that like, well, depending upon who's I was looking at ESPN, I think at this time um, okay. and, and like halfway through the third quarter, the Hawks were leading in that quarter five to two at fast break points. The no. situation for, yeah, and that and the in the Celtics were at twenty. This is my memory. I'm a, I'm older than you, Kevin, so it could be totally wrong. Okay. Um, but for me, the struggle with transition defense in the first half was poor decision making on offense. Like yes, you rough turnovers, shots like low probability shots close to the rim, close to the baseline, where you're giving up immediately. Like one of your you you, you your guy, one of your guys is the the furthest from the other side of the court from of all 10, maybe even the second guy. And so I, I had to think Quinn addressed that at halftime where it's like, calm down, you know, be sound with the ball, you know, have composure in your decision-making because when they stopped feeding that Boston trend, their half court defense was, I think you touched on this earlier. Their half court defense was pretty good all night long, you know, now, yeah. Celtics were, I think, second number two in offensive rating across the season. So, if, you know, you might point to, I don't know, eight, 10, 11, eight, nine, 10, 11 possessions, second half that were just kind of breakdowns. That's going to happen against a team that that's good offensively. Right. I think in the half quarter across the game, they were pretty solid. And even yeah. when they had a bad possession, they got back on plan. So to me, it's like their execution on offense was the number one way to remedy in the second half, feeding that Boston transition. And if that doesn't happen, I think they have absolutely no chance to win this game. No, we know Trey shot at the end. Phenomenal, right? Mm-hmm. I can't believe he played 44 minutes and then just owned that possession without a screen. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, that's, I mean, that's amazing. That's, that's amazing shot making. And that wasn't the only amazing shot he made, but just that pressure. I don't, I can't believe he made that shot. And I mean, I, I can because he's talented. But I can't because of the 44 minutes and all of the offensive workload and all the defensive effort he gave down the stretch. But as a team, if they don't move the ball better in the second half, be a little bit more solid with the ball in the second half, stop taking low probability shots in the second half, stop losing track of Horford and Williams coming to block your shot and creating a run out five on four, four and three, whatever. If coming out of the second half, if they don't fix that or coming out in the second half, if they don't fix that, I feel like they're down 15, 18 within three or four minutes. You know, so that was absolutely one of the biggest things they had to get fixed. And whether it's Quinn saying something or the players holding each other and themselves accountable, we won't, we won't know, but that was absolutely a massive difference from the first half to the second half. Yeah. Uh, And, and you know, again, 
the reason that they had trouble with some of those offensive decisions is that that Horford and Williams are really good. It's like, awesome. They were they, awesome. You know, you got to you got to recognize that that that's a strength of their team, and you have to be very very choosy in the kinds of shots that you take around the rim because you know if 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 it's a runner from the side and you don't have a great angle and you're just going to get carried out of bounds you're you're just asking for uh an easy run out for for the celtics yeah absolutely and and that plays into a willingness to pass the ball to even if it's jc and he's missed his last two or three or whatever jc shot the ball well tonight if you look at the Stat book, you might be surprised. Like, you know, he was good enough from the three-point line tonight, even though we had a, a stretch in the second quarter. Um, they're going to the third quarter that looked like, oh, you know, he's going to miss all of his shots, you know, that, that you're going to have that kind of experience again. But the turnovers stopped when they were willing to kick the ball to the open man. If that's Jalen, if that's a Kong at the top of the key, if that's JC, if that's whoever, right? And we know that the Celtics are pulling in off of JC and Jalen and a few times and Yek has kind of been up there. And I I can I could just hear Quinn saying, you it it reminds me of Mike D'Antoni with his Rockets teams, like move the ball to the open guy. I don't care if it's a 31% shooter, shoot that shot every single time. Do not hesitate. You have to shoot it. And Quinn has really been bringing that kind of D'Antoni kind of thinking in this series, John, I don't care if you missed your last four. You have to take that shot. Jalen, you can't hesitate. You have to take that shot. They're sinking off of you. You have to shoot it. And the second half, the biggest thing around turnovers and not feeding the Celtics defense was, yeah, more composure, all that sort of stuff. But just kick it to the guy who's open. Get, kick it to the guy they're pulling in, defender off of, down to the paint, and take that shot. You have to. In the NBA, you have to take those shots. Agreed. I uh, I liked the decision to go to Aaron Holiday. I I did not like the decision to put the ball in his hands as much as they did. <laughs> yeah, that jump pass turnover was like was just like Ugh. that, just, that was like, a record scratch. Yeah, that was a that was rough. And I, he, I I mean, and the reason is it's not. I mean, you know, they did the right thing, which is if Trey's off, and they only took Trey off for four minutes the whole game. You got to have Bogey on, and you know I think they ran kind of a set play on the first possession, and they got you know Bogey came off a screen, got a corner three, and and, and that that possession worked great. And then after that, uh, it, it didn't go well with Aaron trying to initiate Aaron trying to initiate offense from the top of the key, and I just think that you know at if you're going to try to do that, it really should be in Bogey's hands because Aaron's a you know. A capable shooter, anyways, and he's he's just not a a table setter. And uh, yeah. I, I didn't like that that he had the ball that much. And that you know, this was a game with very small margins that fortunately didn't come back to bite him in the butt from their point of view. Yeah, for sure. And I think that was a factor in why he didn't play the second half too, right? <laughs> um, but yeah. but but in fairness to Aaron, like when's the last time he's been asked to initiate the offense in a right. game that mattered, a yeah. possession that mattered. Has it been a month and a half? <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean, it, it, it you know, it has to be something like it. it's been a long time. Um, and that's what happens when you get a guy who gets suspended. You know, I don't want to open up another conversation about should he they're not suspended. I really don't want to talk about whether <laughs> Jason Tatum should have been suspended, you know. Um I just want everybody I mean, to know that if they have a strong opinion that they want to share, the person to engage with on Twitter is Glenn and not me. 
No, I mean, I I put out a PSA that I'm done talking about the Tatum thing. I, you know, I, I mean, fan, there's nothing wrong with fans kind of seeing things through the lens of their fandom. So I, you know, I don't make fun of anyone, but I tried to like have a few conversations about that was that's not going to be a suspense. It's not even a technical foul. Um, and now I'm done. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I honestly, I, I was. I felt like I was one of the few people who was actually paying attention at that point. Like, I, I don't think there were a whole lot of eyes on DeJounte when he did that. And it was only like when that video came out after the fact that that it really kind of hit the fan. But like when I saw it, I didn't realize that there was that much contact. It looked, yeah. to, for, you know, I had a terrible angle because yeah. uh, I'm on the other side of the floor. Um, But when he ran up to him, I was like, oh, well, he, he shared a very strong opinion from very close range, and I, I didn't realize that there was an actual bump in it. Yeah. Uh, it's funny because, like, as soon as the game was over, I put out a tweet saying that official was awful. And he, <laughs> he, he was terrible. Uh, you know, and he's pretty regularly, uh, you know, I, I hate to be, like, too negative, but he, I was just say, he, I don't think he's the best official. I'll just put it that way. Right. That night, he was he was terrible, right? Um, and I understand DeJounte's frustration, but you can't do that. And on TV, like as soon as the game is over, they go to the interview on the court of the winning team. So none of us who are watching it on TV really got to see it, you know. And it wasn't until I saw it happen on Twitter. And, and you mentioned, you replied to my tweet saying, hey, he let him know too. And then we saw, I was like, I was in my mind, I was like, you know, maybe they'll just suspend him for the first game of next the regular season next, you know. Right. But then I was like, that's probably hopeful thinking, you know, it's, they're not going to let, they're not going to let that go. But, you know, but like today I was like, after we get some time and space from it, I was like, I, you know, I put out my thoughts that I think players are frustrated that when they do something it is very visibly and publicly handled. And what DeJounte did, he should not have expected anything else other than being suspended. Absolutely. It was going to happen. Right. But I think the player's frustration, and I'm not, and again, I'm not saying this justifies what a player does or says or whatever. I'm not getting into that. But when an official is that rough, is that rough of a game, like key plays and all that sort of stuff, the players don't have, any, as far as I know, don't have any visibility to how that's handled. Like, what is the the tracking mechanism for how an official is graded in a game? We hear that that happens. Right. right. We hear every game is graded. There is feedback, all that sort of stuff, but there's no visibility to it. And I'm not saying that necessarily. Thing, I haven't thought this through. I'm just saying <laughs> that should be public. It's probably a terrible idea. Right. I see. Um, you know, but, but, I, but all I'm saying is I understand the player's frustration building up that they're held accountable visibly and publicly. And the officials, it's more of this kind of behind the curtains thing. It's, it's probably about the way it should be. But I'm just saying I understand the player's frustration. Yeah. And, I mean, just he, if he, if, you know, stay three inches away from the ref and, uh, you know, assuming that you don't say some of the most horrific things that you could possibly say, then it's probably just a fine if you're just up close without touching. So, yeah, to learn to say you're not my favorite ref. Yeah. A couple inches. Basketball is a game of inches, Glenn. Anyways, let's shout out to Knight's Game Crew for not falling for Marcus Smart's grift in the final minute of an elimination game. He took an absolute tank dive thinking he was going to get a call, and they didn't give it to him, and I was just beside myself the, with glee. The, there were there were a couple – like, I thought Trey was getting bumped on his drives a lot, 
but it's the playoffs. They, you know, I'm not going to yeah. get too. I, I don't even care. I'm yeah. Like I'm good with like, yeah, I, I thought I they were pretty them. consistent on drive. Like Trey got fouled on some of his drives, but there were very few free throws in the game. They were letting them play. Yeah. I just don't like to see the off ball. You know, I could take a dive when I don't think any of the refs were actually looking at yeah. me. Well, I mean, I, I mean, smart when he ran into that Hunter screen, that was a bit of a dive, you know, but it, but Hunter was moving, you know, you know, so it's like, it wasn't terrible. I was thought that a Kongu? That, he did it to a Kongu too. Yeah. I, I remember the Hunter one kind of, kind of okay. late. And then when Trey tried to draw the charge, I thought Trey great effort, try to get there and get established. It was a foul, but, but it, we mean, it, it was, a, that was a great try. Great. Absolutely. Great try. And, you know, and um, so, but when they went back and looked at it again, the first thing they look at in that situation is number one, before they look at anything else, elbow, shoulder, whatever, getting the defender. Number one, did the defender get himself established? If he didn't, nothing else on that play matters. Trey did not get himself established. And that was it. So it was a good review. I think it was a good challenge by Quinn, yeah. you know, and all that sort of stuff. But I, I thought, I mean, I would take this crew back for game six in a heartbeat. Yeah. You know, I, I would. I thought they were fair on screen setting, you know, amount of movement. I called, they called both teams for what I thought were fair, a fair kind of, um, you know, way of kind of calling the the moving screens. I thought it was fair on both sides. So, you know, I haven't done, I haven't looked at who, who didn't ref the night that would have ref the night if there were more games. I think there, this is a pretty full night. There's three games. So I, I, I have to make my prognostication, Kevin, on who's going to, I look forward to that tomorrow. Such sincerity. (laughs) I don't even know if I'll have time for it. Speaking of sincerity, uh, if anybody's wondering, we're going to sign off by saying goodnight, Bob, on every podcast. That's a nod to our friend Bob, who criticized their ending. So now the new ending is just goodnight, Bob, which we should probably go to now. Goodnight, Bob. Goodnight, Bob. Thanks, Evan. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha.